welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar interview leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Ellis and Ethan Gar. All right, in this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Gar and I chat with Ron Schneiderman, the CEO of All Trails, an app that helps people get out and explore. So many of you probably recall that we had an awesome conversation with Ron in early 2022, which now seems like a long time ago. But at that time, the company was riding the COVID bump because a lot of people were desperate to get out and do some socially distanced recreation activities. And they were also on the heels of a $150 million private equity raise. So All Trails was on a tear. Ethan, what do you feel like we learned from this conversation? Oh man, Sean, where do we even start, right? I mean, on the one hand, the rocket ship growth continues and Ron and the, the, his team not only are, you know, rode that COVID wave you mentioned, but they really figured out how to keep the momentum going even as the world opened up after that. And that by itself was a great story. Um, you know, and there's a lot of valuable growth lessons in that as well, you know, on its own. But Ron, you know, if Ron wasn't such an authentic and genuine guest, um, that would be it. But the truth is that riding a rocket ship is actually really hard, as you and I have both learned along the way in our careers. The people you hired when you were small aren't necessarily the right people when you're when you're larger, and the bets you make don't all work out the same ways that they might have. And the kind of bets you have to make change and often have more risk. So anyone can tell you the good stuff, but the real learnings are in both what works and what doesn't work to drive growth. And Ron's really great at you know sharing both sides of that and. Yeah, helping us know what to do with that information. Yeah, he he definitely is. And I love that that Ron rejects the whole notion of regret. He makes decisions and he gives his team the latitude to try new things. And that's really what creates an environment where people aren't afraid to fail. And we know that's a, a, a critical component of success with growth. So a lot of our discussion was actually on building the right mindset for breakout growth. And Ron describes that as an evolutionary process. And that authenticity that you mentioned is what seems to make it all possible. Ron really is personifies that and his willingness to be vulnerable. Um, it just stands out as an incredible asset. Yeah. You know, I mean, and we, we go into that because Ron made a post earlier uh, this month, I think on LinkedIn um, where he was talking about, you know, he has some close family connections to what's going on in Israel and the conflict there and, you know, what, and, we, we chatted about what it meant for him to be vulnerable in public, which I think is, you know, a little bit outside of, you know, his comfort zone. Um, but when you listen to that, I promise as a listener, you'll understand not just Ron's character, but what he means when he says that as a company, authenticity is our currency. I mean, it's such a cool, you know, just commentary. And um, yeah, to be honest, I think part, that part of the conversation was one of the most meaningful discussions we've ever actually had on the podcast. Yeah, it, it definitely was. We went we went super deep into the importance of vulnerability, and uh, you know shared some some of our own experiences with that as well. Um, but this is a growth podcast, and while that's related to growth, we we did talk a lot about the growth mindset and also just some super actionable stuff. We we dug into the weeds on some super actionable stuff, and um, for me, what was probably most relevant to what I'm obsessing on day to day is. Uh, is some of his conversation and, and insights around the challenges they face with international expansion. Uh, the, for anyone who's not familiar, the reason that I'm kind of obsessed on the international side of things right now is that I am planning an around-the-world speaking tour, and uh, so spending a lot of time doing that. So it was, it was fascinating to hear what has happened as they've, they've worked to expand internationally. 
they're making progress, but it hasn't been easy. And those experiences were both telling and instructive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're certainly going big with, uh, with this uh, plan of yours. So, you know, but I think that, you know, that's why listeners are going to really love this follow up, uh, follow up episode with Ron. And if you've missed it, um, you know, check out the first episode we did with him. Uh, like we said, in January, 2022, um, I think the, you know, listening to that in the context of this will give you some really great, like just awesome learnings and insights. And I think you'll, you'll have a lot of fun. I mean, he's a great guest. So, you know, look, this is what great breakout growth is all about, right? Big wins, facing challenges, learning from mistakes and really finding your flywheel. And that's what, that's what we, we did in this conversation. Yeah. Um, we, we definitely did. And, uh, we, we should jump into it, but for anyone <laughs> listening, I am warning you that if you weren't familiar with all trails before, you're going to fall in love with the app as you, as you hear Ron's story and, and, and what it is that they're trying to do. Yeah. And, if you do fall in love, <laughs> I wanted to uh, give you a heads up that, that Ron sent us after the episode, a couple of roles that he's recruiting for, and uh, you may be able to get an early jump on applying for those roles. So he's, he's looking for a product, des- uh, a director of product design and also a creative director. And so if you have the right skill set for, for those roles, I, I highly recommend that you reach out to uh, recruiting at alltrails.com. They have not publicly posted those roles yet. So uh, you, you can really uh, kind of jump, jump the queue and, and hopefully get your, get your, your, your name and uh, resume in front of the right people early on. But at this point, we should probably get started. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Ron, welcome back to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. I had such a good time last time we did this. Um, I do a decent amount of these. You guys are awesome. You guys it's smart, engaged, fun. Um, so... I was very honored to be asked back. So thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a really fun conversation and it's uh you you you're in such an, an interesting kind of category and stage that uh yeah, it was it it was a good opportunity to check back in. But before we dive into it, I want to welcome my co-host Ethan as well. Uh how, how's it going Ethan? It's going well. Good to see both of you. Uh, equally, uh, uh, Ron, we've been uh, super excited to have you back. I loved our last conversation. So uh, thanks for making the time for us. My pleasure. Yeah. So so that last conversation was actually back in uh, January of 2022. Um, and yeah, we, we were we were big fans of that conversation. I think uh, in, in our uh, Frequent chats that Ethan and I have, we we often reference back to it. So uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to to check back in. But um, we have new listeners since then, and not not all of our old listeners were probably able to tune into that one. So why don't we start with a little background on both uh, on both you and All Trails, and uh, just kind of kind of the highlights so so people can uh, understand what what All Trails is focused on for those who don't already know what all about it. Yeah, sure thing. So All Trails is an app that helps people get outside and explore. So we've got hundreds of thousands of trail guides, trail content all over the world. So whether you're looking for something new to do locally or something for your next trip, we can help you find the right trail, one-touch driving direction to the trailhead, photos and reviews from our 60 million and counting uh, registered users, uh, really cool interactive maps so you won't get lost. You can see exactly where you are. So our whole MO is just trying to get people to spend more time outside. It's really that that basic. That's that's great. And and for for you, um, sorry, Ethan, just want to make sure we, I, I, we don't miss the other part of that question to get uh, Ron's <laughs> background a little bit. So 
your role, how long you've been in that role. Um, a little of that would be helpful as well. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm the CEO, uh, CEO of all trails. I've been here for a little over eight years now. Um, I'm not the founder. I'm not the founder. I took over from the founder back in 2015 when it was a six person company. Um, so this has been the absolute highlight of my career. It's been so much fun, uh, to be able to just grow it into what it is today and surround myself with really awesome people and have a great mission to spend my time and energy on. So yeah. Very cool. Ethan. Yeah, and I can, I can vouch for what a good product it is. I actually sent Ron a picture uh, last Wednesday from the top of uh, Mount, uh, Green Mountain in Boulder, uh, where my friend was actually looking at all trails and making sure we were staying on the trail. So uh, it's a great app. And I, uh, I think uh, probably most of our audience has probably stumbled upon it at one point or another because uh, your SEO is so good. Um, but yeah, so Ron, when we last spoke, I think you know all trails was just on a tear. You were running profitably. I think you told us you had over a million paying users. I know you had just raised, I think, $150 million uh, in P, uh, private equity funding. Um, so how have things been going since then? And what's the biggest thing you've learned as you've continued to scale? Um, I'm, I'm a big believer. I probably mentioned this last time I was on here. I'm a big believer that momentum begets momentum, right? Momentum is just the lifeblood of a hyper-growth company and since I, since I got here at All Trails, I feel like I am just obsessing over how do you not just maintain but, but grow on that momentum. So in that regard, it's nothing that's really changed that much since, since uh, January 2022. Um, we've been able to maintain that 50% plus year-over-year growth rates and do it in a way that's capital efficient. Um, I, I mean... I don't want to imply that it's been like super easy or linear or anything. You know, the last year's been crazy. Um, and there's been headwinds and, and crosswinds and stuff like that too. But I think that the, um, the, the, the foundation that we have in place, the infrastructure, the culture, the strategy, it all feels kind of like it's really just a, sort of an execution play, you know, which, which I like. It means like our, our destiny is in our control. I can live with that. Um, so it's been, it's been going great. It's been a ton of fun. I, I have to assume that, that, uh, you know, some of the headwinds that, that you may have hit were, you know, when we talked January, 2022, we're still, you know, there's still a lot of kind of pandemic stuff going on, social distancing. I mean, I still, still see the signs occasionally six feet apart. Um, my, my hairdresser finally took her, uh, took her, uh, mask off. So literally like I got my haircut today and she, she was, uh, just probably wearing a mask until about two months ago. And so you were like at the, at the perfect place when people wanted to get outdoors and, and, and space out a bit. Um, have you, have you found that, that kind of the, the usage patterns have, have changed a bit as, as people kind of probably, probably get a little bit more back to their normal rhythm of things? We were fortunate. I, I don't think it's a secret that we had a big, um, a COVID bump, right? There, there was nothing to do. Like all of 2020 and well into 2021, there just wasn't anything to do. You couldn't travel. You couldn't go to the gym. You, you know, you couldn't go to church. Like people were just stuck. And so people were going to the outdoors, not just for physical health, you know, for mental health, for emotional health, for spiritual health. And so there was a huge influx of, of new people into outdoor recreation that maybe had never been there before or did it 
as a, as a kid and kind of lost touch and, and they came back and that, that was awesome. But what was really important to us, again, through this lens of momentum, be getting momentum, you know, we, we didn't want, we didn't want that to stop. We didn't want that to stop. Right. And so as the world opened back up, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a key strategy point of ours. How do we continue to make the outdoors relevant? Um, and so we spent a lot of energy on kind of um, trying to bring more people into the fold. You know, there's still so much work to do there, but um, not just focusing on the people who maybe grew up spending time on trails or, or who had the luxury or access to do it during the pandemic. Keep reaching out proactively with intentionality to underserved groups in the community and, and more storytelling and, and things like that. Um, and, and obviously doing this on an international scale was really important and just one of the bigger growth vectors that we've had too. Um, the usage patterns have shifted, you know, during the pandemic, people were trading their commutes for, for midweek hikes. So pre pandemic, it was, it was like, a like a classic U curve, right. With like Sunday, you know, dip down and, and come back Saturday. Um, and during the plan- pandemic, it flattened out. It was crazy. We actually sometimes saw like more. Uh, utilization midweek than weekend, just because again, people weren't commuting. Um, And then as the world opened back up, it it kind of returned to normal. There's some weird shifts and the the normal like seasonality bell curve over the course of the year has changed shape a little bit, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of fun trying to parse through the day. Like, what does this represent, right? What is the story underneath here in terms of like society and on a per country basis? Um, But I think one of the areas where we were fortunate is that, even during the pandemic, it, it always felt like time outside was an and, not an or to kind of your core routines, you know? So as, as gyms came back, as travel came back, it didn't feel like you had to turn us off, turn up, you know, compartmentalize, put away time outside. It just got incorporated into the way that you travel or the way that you think about your, your weekend plans or whatever. So yeah, the, 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 Usage patterns have shifted, but because we weren't a daily app and we weren't trying to replace the gym, um, we were able to weather it pretty well. I think. Yeah, and you just touched on the international expansion. I think that was one of the themes that we we talked about the last time. You were just kind of kicking off a lot of that. Um, have you like one? How's that going? And, and two, some of these usage patterns you just touched on. Is it different in different parts of the world? Are you finding? I mean, we, we could we could probably fill this entire podcast just talking international and just everything that we've learned over the years. It's so fascinating. It's so much fun. It's so fascinating. Um, yeah, we're, gosh, where where do you guys want to start on this one? Because there's there's a lot of rich territory on this space. I know myself. I'm 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 one of those like get get super excited about a growth opportunity. And being an ADD guy, it's kind of like I'm I'm I'm. 25% into that growth opportunity. It's not as exciting as I thought. And then the next one's starting to come up and I shift everything to it. So why don't you start kind of at that beginning beginning part? Did did international play out the way you expected it to? Or was it maybe bigger? Sometimes sometimes there's a little bit more there. And then and then uh, then we can kind of take it from there. But sort of like, yeah, your first steps in interna- international, how did that work? Yeah, so first steps was um, 2019. 2019, soon after we, we got bought by a private equity firm, Spectrum Equity, in 2018. And one of their big growth theses was international, right? That that we could create a, a global brand, a global community. Um, and so step one was just trying to translate the platform into French, German, and Spanish. And it sounds so easy, right? On paper, 
in a strategy deck. It sounds so easy. And then we started doing it and it was just like, good God, what did we just get ourselves into? This was so you much more You don't just throw it into Google Translate? More... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so gnarly. It was so gnarly. I mean, it took us almost all of 2019. And granted, we were a small company then. We probably had like 15 employees, 15 full-time employees at the time, but it was all hands on deck, just trying to translate. And then you translate it and then everyone hits you with the feedback like, all right, Americans, like this just looks like an American company that's just been splashed with, you know, poorly translated copy. Um, and then you get into the all of localization, which is a whole different beast, right? Because um, our goal, our goal is, is we want it to feel by locals for locals. We're a community-driven platform. Authenticity is really like our, our currency. And you you know, we have to, we have to get it right. It, it can't just be like a product page listing on, on Amazon where whatever is cheap enough, people are going to buy it. Like we're sending people outside, right? Like, like in the back country where there's sometimes no data signals, it's high consequence. There's a lot of trust involved in that. So that, that was a pretty big path, figuring out how to continue to improve that. All these inflection points, when, when do you bring something in house? Like when do you need to start hiring uh, someone full-time who can speak? German, right? Like we didn't have any German speakers. A few people took, I, I took high school Spanish. Like it was okay <laughs> for a bit it. and then it's not good <laughs> enough. Right. It's not going to cut it, right? And then one of the things I, um, I think I grossly underestimated was the cardinality that language support introduces all up and down your product development life cycle. So starting with design, right? German 40% longer on average. I don't know if that is actually like a true stat, but I've, I've heard that enough times. So I'm just going to say it as if it's the truth. 40% longer on average. So all of your buttons break, right? Like you get weird text wrapping, like visually just like, well, what? And you have to keep. So, so there's like the design element, obviously on the coding side, on the QA side, on the customer support side, on the marketing side, on the app store listing side. It's just like everything is now times the number of languages that you support. And that can really slow down velocity, right? And, and until you figure out how to operationalize it. So a lot of the last several years has been figuring it, it. And I should say too, it, I don't know if it's true or not, but to us, it felt like a one-way door. It's like, all right, if we're going to, if we're going to do this, we're committing and it'd be really hard to just turn off German or whatever, right? Pick a language, turn it off. Right. So you're, you're committed. We went full send. We, we committed it. Um, so a lot of the last few years has been figuring out, okay, so like now we're here, we signed up for it. We're on, we're on, on the hook for delivering a, a truly great localized experience. So how do we do this without slowing everything else down so that we're not just spending all of our cycles, just trying to keep up Because again, the whole thing is momentum, right? Like we got to keep shipping. We got to keep delivering. We got to go faster. Yeah. So a lot of learning. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the things I found is that as you, as you kind of pursue a new opportunity, you, you pull attention and focus and some of your best people off of the old things. And if, as you're saying, momentum is, is such an important driver. If you're not, if you're not continuing to feed the engine that got you there, you, you could, you could kind of take your eye off the ball and, and uh, maybe the new thing starts to play out, but and then it's, then it's replacement growth and that's not good either. And so, yeah, that's hard. Do, totally. do, if you could go back and, and do it, sorry, if I'll also, let you in in one second. <laughs> I'm, I'm very international right now <laughs> as I'm uh, planning a worldwide trip, but if you could go back and do it, um, w 
over again, would you have maybe just started with one international language to know what you're getting yourself into and, and kind of growing, growing a region and then, and then cut a sequence from there? Or do you feel like you, you, you probably went about it the right way? You know, I want this to come across the right way. I, I am not a regrets guy. I just, I'm not right. Like I never try and second guess decisions. the, The way I see is like, I'm really, really happy with where we're at today. And if it took all that pain and everything else to get us here, then it was worth it, right? We learned, we had to make the adjustments that we did. So I wouldn't do any, I, I wouldn't do anything different. Okay, so you know? take, it, take it as advice for other companies. If you can't go back and change time <laughs> and someone is about to that's, embark that's on a, a similar conversation. Path. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different conversation. And then, yeah, I would maybe say um, start small. I mean, I actually, I should have led with this. I, we started our international journey with like UK, Australia, okay. Ireland, even Same that's like language, not a different given, location. Given. A few more years right. in and the so spellings. Like, but. <laughs> totally. No, that, straight up. Yeah. We actually have like a language service for British English specifically to just add use in there. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of like figure, yeah, get, getting a a rotation or two in a cycle or two before you're like fully committed with the hard stuff. Spanish is a pretty easy way, but you know, then you're trading off like monetization and uh, there's again, different um, (laughs) there's different strategy with different markets in terms of how you're going to actually like make money off of it. And I, I, and when, you know, when you're a community driven um, platform sort of earlier is better in terms of, building community that's building content that's that's reviewing content that's tweaking it like um you can't you can't just flip that on overnight and expect it to all be working well it needs to sort of organically grow as well i assume totally and i'd say it's it's similar to you know when when you decide when every company decides it's time to kind of lean into growth you know that that first time like all right like we're we're ready for like a, a culture of experimentation and iteration and you know we're going to tear down cross-functional barriers and just you know like that's also like there's a point in your maturation in your company's life cycle where it doesn't make sense, right? And then where it does. And I'd put international 100% through that same lens. Ethan, jump in here. Sorry, man. I'm squeezing you out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no worries. No, um, what I was going to say is, uh, uh, Ron, like one thing I learned uh, at Teltech with uh, a product we had called Tapacall was that the app stores make it super easy to go international, right? Like you press a button and you're international, but you've just pointed out the fact that like, yeah, it's easy to press the button, but the problem is you haven't put boots on the ground. You don't know what your product market fit looks like there. Um, So do you feel like, especially with your product where, um, you know, and you told us this, that you had channel market fit before you had product market fit in the US. Do you feel like... uh, that's actually kind of dangerous because essentially once you put it out there in Austria or Germany or wherever, um, if you've gotten it wrong, um, you actually right away start creating, uh, you know, negative, you know, bad will for your, for your users. So do you think that's actually like a, almost a danger, uh, for, for companies that are thinking about going international that are app based and have that luxury of just pressing a button? Yeah, there's, there's no shortage of, of gotchas. When, when you're going to go international and to further complicate it, it's every, every market is different, right? So there's some markets where we have super clear product channel fit, but then, um, 
there's a low willingness to pay or they don't really like annual renewing subscriptions, which is what we offer, right? Like we're, we're having to get creative now with the way that we try and monetize some of these countries. And there's some countries that have really great product market fit and are willing to pay, but we struggle to reach them. And, and so we have to look at each market as an individually. And, and again, this is one of the lessons we learned along the way. You can't just think about Europe. There's no such thing as like a European strategy. Every single country is totally different and, and it's very complicated. Um, and so trying to, trying to understand, you know, where in the funnel uh, is it the most leverage or, or the most opportunity? Where are we the softest or the weakest? Um, for example, like on the product channel fit side, um, domestically, we're, we're fortunate in that we've been around since 2010, right? And we started as a website and we have this amazing legacy SEO and it's really, really great, really great. Um, but when, but, and so much of that is rooted in community content, user generated content, which, you know, recency and just unique keywords and just feeds the, the algorithm. Um, and in new markets, when we're going into a new market, Kind of like how I said earlier, momentum begets momentum. It's it's kind of the same thing in a community-driven platform like ours where UGC begets UGC, right? So that the trails, whether, whether in the United States or in France or Poland or wherever, trails where we have a lot of content, it's so easy to get more reviews. We have, we have trails with like 10,000 reviews, which is insane, right? But we're, there's trails that have zero reviews. And it's really, really hard to get that first review because if you're if you're a user who is that page, like no one's even checking this out. This party's dead, right? What am I going to waste my time here uh, for something no one's going to see, right? And we have to throw more bodies at it. We just have to just totally widen the top of the funnel, which means sometimes doing unsustainable things around paid acquisition, which rather than being an, an accelerant, we're having to like lead a market with just like a big influx of. of of buying users because we have to get that content flywheel going. And so what, what we're... And again, I don't want anyone to think we figured this out. We're still figuring this out as we go. But that's one of the lessons um, that we've kind of identified uh, since our last chat though, about the need to have like a country-specific strategy and country-specific funnel analytics and a, a country-specific playbook for how are we going to get it to maturity. Do, do you find um, you, you mentioned sort of some differences there, like willingness to to pay and annual subscriptions? Have you have you found the competitive landscape is is different in in some different countries? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, just speaking transparently, speaking candidly, we we've had a really hard time in Germany. It's a really hard market for us, and I think one of the reasons why there's a, a, a an entrenched competitor there. You know, and they're good. They're good. I think we're better, but they're good. Of course. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, we look at stuff like our aided and unaided brand awareness. And, and again, like we do a lot of surveys out there and just like, gosh, gosh, like this is really going to be a tough market for us to crack and, until we're ready to just throw a lot of resources at it. And so, you know, things like that, that it's probably like, I don't know, again, I'm s- still figuring this out, but I've, I've heard from a lot of people. A lot of people say Germany and Japan are very similar in that they both tend to be a little skeptical of foreigners and tend to preference like the local homegrown solutions. Um, you see it to lesser degrees in other countries. So there are very few countries where I would say that a local entrenched competitor is our, our barrier to growth. Very few. Um, it's more like, what don't we understand? 
what don't we know? What don't we understand? What are we not delivering from a product or value perspective? How do we haven't gotten pricing right? Or maybe we need to think about alternative monetization strategies. Very rarely am I willing to fall back and say like, we can't get somewhere because of a competitor. Yeah. yeah. And I can even see like culture being something that in, in some cultures, people, people are just more exploratory maybe than, than others. And they, they don't want any aid in their exploration where, where others, you know, don't, don't want to ever go without some, some guidance and help. And yeah, I, I don't know which countries would be which, but like, it's just, you know, preferences are, are, are likely to be different as well. Are there any countries where, that you found to be super interesting because the nature of how all trails serves the customer there is different, or is it more about just the sort of those nuances of how they pay, uh, what they like or dislike? I can't think of any utilization behavior in in one market or another that's like, wait, what? They they use us for motocross out here? Like, I don't know, right? Like it's it's pretty straightforward. And that's that's one of the things that I like about our our space is that it's actually really it's simple. You know, it's like it's a very simple value prop. We're just trying to get people to spend more time outside. You don't need any gear. Like it's very low barrier to entry. You just need you just need information. Right. Um, one of the things that we have been working to, I was, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of this one. Earlier this year, we hit the milestone of having trail content in every country on the planet. And our, our last two were Sudan and, and North Korea, but there's like some open source heritage trails out there. So we're able to, we have one. <laughs> um, I have not checked it out myself. Um, but you know, that, that was cool, right? Because again, I, I think it's like, it is a pretty, straightforward, just like, you know, map the trails, instill confidence in our users, and they will go out and explore it, right? Um, So I haven't seen anything crazy, but there are questions that we're trying to figure out. One on the monetization side, like we were talking about, like, all right, if people aren't willing to do an annual subscription, what what makes sense? How can we still um, create value and then derive some value so we can continue to invest? Um. And then there's somewhere, you know, like the, I don't know, like some of the flatter parts of Europe, right? So then it's like, okay, so um, what's our what's our cycling strategy? Like how, what does it mean to do cycling really, really well out here? Um, and so there, there's just ongoing research right now at All Trails to try and answer that question. And then, you know, part of the cardinality that I was talking about earlier and some of the complications, like, all right, so like, where does it fit on the roadmap? Right. And we're, we're trying to, we're trying to do it all centrally and globally for maximum impact, but we'll try and sprinkle in investments for, you know, it's, it's global product development, but we know that we'll maybe have an outsized influence in a specific country here um, that can help us, you know, win the market, accelerate growth, whatever. So, you know, that's, that's part of it too, is like, where does our feature set, I don't know if that's product market fit, maybe that's just part of product market fit, but where does our feature set maybe come up a little bit short? maybe because of com- local competitors too. And, and how do we need to then augment it without like fully, like, I don't want to do a constellation of ads. That's a headache. Um, and we don't want to like have this whole like crazy Frankenstein thing. There's like elegance and simplicity. Right. Um, but how do you create space for maybe more use cases that aren't core to our core markets? Yeah. I want to, I want to touch on something that you, uh, or go back to something you touched on earlier um, about kind of the, the team evolution, Wait, you said it was like eight when you started there. How many did you say it was? 
six. six. Okay. It was six. <laughs> and, uh, and what are you up to now? <laughs> 200. 200. So, um, that's, uh, yeah, I'd imagine a team of 200 is, is very different than that, that early team of six. What have you found kind of, uh, challenge wise, opportunity wise, just like, like, having an expanding team, how you approach things. Obviously, you knew everyone really well when it was small. Some people you might not even recognize today if you walk past them on the street. I, I, you'll probably deny that, but uh, <laughs> someone with less incredible memory might not might not recognize everyone. So what? Um, how, how has that kind of changed how, how you maybe influence rather than directly lead and, and uh, just organize teams and keep them on the same page? If you could give us some insight on on that, that'd be helpful. This is UCT. We could spend two podcasts just talking <laughs> about this. Um, actually, let me start with this. Okay. This is a growth podcast, right? Like, I, that's one of the, the reasons why I love this podcast. I'm, before I was CEO, I was a growth guy. So I, I, I've been doing growth, not as OG as, as Sean here, but I've been doing <laughs> I've been doing growth for a long time. Tell me the grandfather growth. And it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, nephew? I don't know. But anyways... Um, <laughs> it's it's been really cool to see the evolution of, of this growth mindset. You know, it's not just like I think I don't know. Maybe I'm broad generalization, but like the days of like a chief growth officer, head of growth, are, are kind of behind us a little bit. And instead, this growth mindset, I feel like, has just been instilled across product and marketing, right? And everyone just has the same framework around you know hi- hypotheses. You know, spin up a quick test, get some signal, iterate, and just like evolve, or rinse, repeat. Again, like cross-functional collaboration, tear down the barriers, just, you know, like, let's be data-driven, let's be objective. And that's been awesome. So when I was, when I was, when I was prepping, when I was doing all my prep work for this podcast, um, no, when I was in the shower this morning thinking about what I wanted <laughs> to talk about on this podcast, this was actually something I was really excited to bring up to you guys because I feel, maybe this is the hot take of, uh, of the show here, I feel like the d- next dimension of growth is like the, the the next level is honestly it's org design and process design like that's fucking growth right there like that is the high leverage shit that's and that's what I've been spending my last few like years doing is like taking that same growth mindset and applying it to our org as if our org is this living breathing thing that can be optimized and through this lens again like manufacturing all that momentum and everything else this is why I think like I, if I were to distill down you know, what, what's our narrative around like how we've done what we've done. I think it's through that lens. I really, really think it's through that lens. And that's why I, you know, I'm not a fan like headcount or, or, or whatever. Like it's not, it's not a success metric in and of itself by, by any stretch, you know, and we've all seen the overfunded companies that like raise a huge series A round and go to, you know, 20 to 500 people in six months. And, that's pretty rough. That's a lot of bad things happen from that. Us, it's it's been more sustained. Like it's been kind of you know self funded, um, and it's just always been through this lens of like, what's the next highest leverage hire? Like what's the, what's like how do we get more leverage? You know, total greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing. So that's where we've really been spending so much time and energy. And me specifically, I spend so much time and energy on momentum through the lens of of headcount org design process design. So like I said, like we could talk for days about this stuff. So I'll pause if you have any questions. So one question you, you said, 
uh, that you, you kind of feel like the, the, the head of growth or chief growth officer is, is sort of, uh, becoming more something of the past. So are you, are you saying that you, you no longer, you, or you do not have a head of growth? I have a, I have a, we have a growth, uh, product team that's like kind of tasked with like more like quick win experimentations. Um, and they have, you know, their, their, their OKRs are through like their traditional growth lens, but growth is not compartmentalized with them. They are not like the gatekeeper to our AB test yeah. or anything. And instead like a big, where, where are they able to, uh, to, to experiment, for example, which, which parts of the business? They, they have latitude to do it ever. Okay. But when we think through the lens of leverage so much, of it, it's still, it's the sign up flow. It's yeah, the yeah. checkout flow, you know, but they're not, they're not prevented from, from executing in any area of the business. No, and this is where again I feel like um, through the org design uh, and and everything else that needs to go into it, um, our I I hate fiefdoms, I hate sharp elbows. Like that was always one of my challenges as a growth guy, which is bumping up against brick walls and like you can't touch this part of the plot. This is my part, and it's like, what are you talking about, right? And so instilling this culture where my CPO, my CMO, my CTO are super tight no ego. And it's just all through the lens, like how we're going to drive this business forward. And so the collaboration amongst the teams is that's the unlock. That's how that's what makes yeah. it happen. So I, 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 I come up against a challenge recently on a, on a company that I worked with in the past where um, I feel like we had all of what you just said in place where, where um, team was working super well, collaboratively, cross-functionally. And then, and then, you know, some new hires. I mean, again, that's one of the challenges that as you, as, as you double team size and double it again, you bring new leaders in who have kind of a different philosophy around things. And, and uh, someone had a philosophy of kind of like, oh, we need, we need to have more of a culture of ownership. And so it's kind of like divide things up again. So instead of the cross-functional, these are my metrics, these are your metrics. And uh, well, I remember having a conversation with Ethan not too long afterwards and saying, like, I think people just really mess up this idea of growth where, um, particularly in the, from the leadership perspective, that it's, it's, it's a role of influence much more than a role of ownership. And, uh, and that, that the role should be able to engage anywhere where there's opportunities and help to influence how the, the team executes within those opportunities. And so I'm, I'm curious about your, your take on that. If you agree or if you have a slightly different kind of take there. No, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And this is why, Again, I feel like um, focusing on if when we're talking about a culture of momentum and momentum begetting momentum, we're really talking about culture within the org, right? Um, momentum doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And and one of the things that we learned along the way was um, we were hiring people from startups and we were hiring people from big legacy tech and everything in between, some people from outside of tech, everything in between. And it was probably, it was probably like right around when I did your show, maybe like, you know, a hundred, 120 people, something around there where it really, I, I had this visceral feeling that we were losing our momentum. Right. And I, it's like, when, when I get these visceral feelings, like I'll start waking up every day at three in the morning, like my gut just starts yelling at me. And I just, I'm laying in bed at three in the morning for like weeks on end. And so I feel like, what the fuck's going on? Like, why are you doing this? What are you trying to tell me? And it was like, Hey, you know, alarm bells, like we're slowing down, we're slowing down. And it took me a little bit to, to figure it out that with, um, 
some of these new hires coming in, they, they weren't calibrated on what it meant to work at all trails. Right. And we move fast. I love, I love moving fast. And, um, they, we, we started unintentionally and, and by no fault of any individual, but, uh, any individuals creating, we had a culture of risk aversion seeping in. Right. And like, that's what it's like, Oh, okay. Like we need to stop this in its track and we need to, so I made this whole culture deck and I did it out in all hands. And I, it was part of like every new hire. We do these monthly new hire onboarding sessions. And it's like the first thing that they get from me is the culture deck. So it's really like, you know, what got us here and what do we need to focus on? What are some of the antidotes to the traps in front of us? And it's stuff like, you know, um, you know, progress over perfection. Don't let perfect get in the way of good embrace failure, right? Like, this is, there's no playbook for what we're doing. So this is how we're going to learn. This is how we're going to get better how we, by making these mistakes. So don't, don't worry about making the mistake. Just go. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll be much more angry about inaction um, than I will about like, we moved fast. We had a good hypothesis. It didn't work. We, or we didn't account for this, but we're smarter now moving forward. I'll take that 100 times out of 100. Right? So to me... Um, Really, when we're talking about momentum, really, when we're talking about growth mindset, all this stuff, it's culture. It's the culture. And that always, always has to start at the top. It's so funny. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you're getting this too, Sean, but like, what, you know, whenever you interview a bunch of uh, customers, you start to think like, you start to look for the trends. Like, what, a, what did a few people say that was sort of the same? Like, that's when, you know, when growth people start, you know, the hair on their neck starts to stand up. And I'm listening to you talk, Ron, and I'm starting to hear these repeating themes that have come through. Like one, uh, the last person we interviewed for the podcast was Todd Olson of Pendo. And he was saying that, you know, in the future, um, the, you know, every product manager is a growth guy. And I think it goes right into what you're saying about the like, gender neutral guy there. Just <laughs> every, yeah, everybody, fair enough. Uh, but the, the the roles in growth here are changing and how we approach growth is changing as well. Um, and I do remember another, um, another interview that we did, I think it might've been with um, someone from Canva where she was saying that like, it was really important that their CPO and their CMO were like in lockstep. Again, you're saying like that becomes super important, take the egos out of it. And what you just said about how new hires are changing, like new hires don't have the same connection to the mission. Sean, you might even remember uh, who said this, but uh, we had a years ago we had a conversation, and one of our guests was saying like the first person who joins the company, uh, they come for the mission, right? They didn't come for the money. There is no money. The sec the people who come a little later, they come for the opportunity and this this you know chance to be part of something big. People come a lot later. You know, some of them are coming for the money, right? And it's a different it's a different mindset. It's how do you get everyone connected to the mission? Um, and I think all of these things you know are about how you make growth work. It's all about what, what you're saying. It's all about culture and getting people to understand that we have a, a shared mindset around how growth works in the organization. So it's just, it's cool to see all these things uh, come around full circle. It was one of the reasons why I was excited to have you back on the show, Ron. I thought, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what's changed over time. One thing um, I listened back to that episode. One thing you mentioned back then was that you still tried to interview everyone, every new hire. Is that something you're still able to do at your scale? Or, I mean, that was 80 or so hires ago. So I don't know if that's still possible. I'm still uh, over 50% of our new hires. I'm still getting into the interview process. And any anything manager or above, I'm intentionally getting into the interview process. And that's the thing. Like, it's fascinating you say that. But 
at Ultra was one of the things we try to hold on to is that we actually we won't hire anyone who's not here for the mission, right? Like, and that's it's hard. It's hard. I said there's there are times over the last few years where we had these acute business needs and just like a big gaping hole in the org chart where we needed someone with XYZ skill set. And you run a process and you're like, you know what? Like if they're not if they're not about our mission and they're not of our culture, I don't care how talented they are, we won't hire them. And that was that was hard. I'm not gonna lie. Like that was hard. I second guess myself all the time. I'm sure people within all trails second guess me all the time. But we held the line on that. And I look back, I look to I look to where we are today. And I think a big reason why we're able to sustain our momentum. And again, the culture guardrails that like feeds that beast and makes it happen and has allowed us to weather all of the craziness of the last few years is because of that unified commitment to the mission. Um, and that's partly why I think I need to keep doing, you know, hiring, at least like the strategic hires. Cause I think, I think once you lose sight of that, you know, like that's to me the, the beginning of the deterioration of, of culture mm -hmm. and like momentum. Once you, once you lose culture, it's really, really hard to bring it back. Yeah. yeah, just based on what you're saying there, it, it brings me back to a thought that I have a lot of times is just that that talent is actually pretty overrated. Like a lot of time, like oh, how can we how can we live without that person, or how can we? But if they're not on board to the mission, a lot of times, you know, if they're if they're if they're not a good person to work with, a lot of times the kind of the 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 negative parts of their being a part of the company so far offset the positives that they're just good at a particular skill set. And um, I, I would have, I'd rather have people who are really enjoy working with each other, who are really aligned in what needs to be done and, and, and can, can bring that ego down a bit and maybe a little less talented, but, but able to uh, essentially work in concert a lot better. And uh, yeah, it gets a struggle that a lot of CEOs go through. I think the danger too, is sometimes with talent, you get addicted to the yeah. talent. Like I, I've worked with people, I'm sure you guys have too, where they are super talented. So it's like, we can't let yeah. them go because they're so smart. And eventually you do let them go. Like I, I've, I've let them go in that case. And then it's like, God, why did I not do this a long time ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if you can put a label on someone that's like talented, something like talented coward, <laughs> talented jerk, talented anything, um, unless it's like talented, mission-driven, perfect, like probably it's time to get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, this isn't like a super nice topic or anything, but I mean, that's one of the lessons learned over the last few years too, is like the importance of knowing when to transition people out, you know, um, and how so often we kind of um, try and rationalize it or, or justify it or gloss over it, whatever. And again, this is where like culture starts to slip and I don't know, like at the worst case, like roots of toxicity start seeping in, you know? Um, but I think the the need, especially, you know, for us, it was, it's hard, right? Like it's, there's amazing people we hired at 30, 40, 50 people um, that, that maybe aren't the right leader at, at 200 people, you know, and, and how do you do it in a way that's again, compassionate and kind and, and leaves them their dignity and gives them a soft landing and everything else. But still like, you know, we can't allow this to, to continue. I think that's also one of the key, key elements of this whole like culture momentum equation. I think it's one of the uh, one one potential solution to that that I've I've heard in uh, recent years is uh, the the reason you go with head of for titles because you uh, 
you can always have a new head of, whereas like I remember in one of my first companies, it was kind of like first it's the VPs and then the SVPs and then the EVPs. And like, if you, if you have like hard titles, it becomes, (laughs) yeah, that's one that Ethan and I worked together with. I I believe that was our our first company together. And uh, we called it (laughs) Veep Creep just because suddenly everyone was a VP. (laughs) (laughs) But I do remember, uh, I do remember there was a great, um, there was a great press release, which I didn't write, Sean, but uh, this is at uproar.com when Sean was, per- the press release said, Sean Ellis promoted to president of Europe. <laughs> I thought, wow, <laughs> like, that was a, that, that was a good, yeah. uh, <laughs> that was, that was all good. the pomp and swing money around that. It was amazing. <laughs> all the prime ministers coming to me. <laughs> um, cool. Well, Ethan, uh, I, I there's a, there's a few more questions I know you and I discuss. Is there anything that that's real pressing for you as we we get closer to the end here? Well, I, yeah, I was just curious. You know, now that you know, since we talked, I mean, obviously you have more resources. That you you raise some money. All of these things um, they give you a lot more opportunities to do a lot of things. You've gone international. What do you how like with culture as such a focal point? How do you make sure that the focus stays on the right things and it doesn't get too broad? Like when you and I chatted. Uh, we we're we we're discussing like you have a um, you now have a, a store uh, where you can buy all trails gear, which is great. But I I asked you uh, flat out, I was like, hey, is that like is that like do you, was that did that is that good? Is it a distraction? And like these are real problems that bigger companies have. How do you how do you how do you sync all that for yourself? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I feel like there's a natural evolution of like sightlines that happens as a company grows and matures. So in the early days, everything's reactive, right? Like you're, it's just, it's a house on fire. You're triaging things. You're just, you're constantly like reacting to whatever fire drill is, is, is taking up your attention. Um, and then ideally you try and, you know, move from reactive to like a little bit more proactive and maybe you can get into like quarterly planning and then you get into like H1, H2 planning. Maybe you can get into a full year planning. Uh, to be clear at all, you know, like we probably got into like annual planning, like 2022, maybe not that long ago. Um, and, and just this year, we did our first ever three-year strategy session. We went offsite. We went, 11 of us went to Yosemite for a few days, and it was amazing. It was the first time we'd allowed ourselves to think so long-term, and then we're able to view 2024 strategic planning through this, this broader lens, and our, our, is what we're building, like laddering up to the broader vision. And so, um, part, so part of it is, is this balance between like short, medium, long-term initiatives, you know, and you want to kind of have a little bit of a balance. Um, and it's a, it's a luxury. It's a luxury to be able to allocate more capacity to the bigger bets, the longer term bets, that things aren't necessarily going to like move the needle in in this fiscal year. So that's what we try and do. And, and the, one of the things I say at Altos all the time is, is ideation is the easy part, right? There's, I'm sure you guys are sitting there, you probably have like 30 different ideas for what we should build and when and why and all that. Like, Everyone straight. I'll wear an Altrail shirt. People will like walk up to me like, "Oh, dude, you work at Altrail?" It's like, "Yeah, yeah." And they're like, "Ah, oh, I have this idea. Hey, have you ever thought about this?" Like, "Okay, <laughs> yes, I have." Here's why it's a bad idea. Yeah. I never say that, but I don't have much influence. But I'll, I'll talk to the uh, I'll talk to my boss about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't tell them my title. Um, but yeah, everyone everyone has opinions about what we should build. Ideation is the easy part, and that makes it. And, and to be clear, it's fun too. It's fun. 
So prioritization is really where we, you know, it's what's yeah. going to make or break our strategy. So something like, like the, the merch store, um, Ethan's got a gripe with, with our merch store. It's just funny. This is uh No, no, I like I'll, it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I like it. Fun. It was just an interesting but point. <laughs> this one, the reason why we, it was self-contained, you know, and basically like the mandate, it lives under our, our mark, their chief marketing officer. And it's like, um, it just needs to pay for itself. Right. And it's two people and we can use agencies and all that. And it gets the logo out on the trail. Like, so it's like, all right, you know, but, but there, there are product initiatives that are much bigger and are like our multi-year laddering, and we need to be very deliberate about like when are we funding that versus all of the other shorter term opportunities. So, anyways, long winded way of saying it, we try and strike a balance between short, medium, long term. Cool. So, I had a, a, another uh, leadership question for you. Um, I and I'll, I'll I'll give you kind of from my from my own perspective of of having been a an early stage uh, startup CEO. You're you're obviously further further along than I ever was able to, to take in a CEO role, but the um, the in those early days, I was so worried about how you know showing any fear uh, to the to the team because it was like oh they're going to think I've lost confidence in and then they're going to lose confidence and so I just got to always look like I got it together and and not panicking. Um, but I, I saw something recently that you posted that made me think that that maybe you don't kind of think in those terms as much. Um, you, you had a post on LinkedIn uh, talking about some family connections in Israel, and it was a, a very vulnerable post. And I, I'm just curious, uh, in general, how you think about sort of CEO vulnerability. What are the what are the risks and advantages of that? And how how do you how do you decide uh, how to how to approach kind of the the emotional side of things with your team? I, I should probably start by saying I'm a very private person. Um, I'm not on social media aside from LinkedIn. I, I got off Facebook and Instagram back in 2014, and it was like by far the, the best thing I've I've done. America, if you're listening, do yourself a favor. That stuff takes so much subconscious and conscious energy. It's just not it's not worth it. Um, so, anyways, I, I've, I've never I'm very private. Um, I've, I've never cared for um, virtue signaling. I like it's just. Words are cheap, you know, words are very cheap. And it's something I talk about with my kids all the time. Um, that like it's not it's not what you say, it's what you do. And it, and it's really it's it's what you do when no one's looking that really defines your character. And so I've tried to I've tried to kind of like run all trails through that lens and we can talk about that too. Um, because the last few years have been really interesting in that regards and sort of what the expectations are for for leaders to make comments and for companies to make comments on things outside of their core mission and everything. Um, so against that backdrop of being very private, um, I also, I, I don't know, this is going to sound hokey, um, but I, I kind of have like, I have personal core values, you know, and, and I, I made them a long time. So like one of them is authenticity. And I, I just, I made a vow to myself a long time ago. I promised myself like, no matter what happens, like highs, lows, everything in between, no matter what, I'm just going to stay true to myself. I'm going to, this is why I swear on podcasts, so I'm not polished, right? Like, I'm just, I'm trying to be as real as I can. That's it, you know? And I think people, um, I, I like to think people um, respect that. I don't, maybe, maybe some people don't. Um, and so sometimes these two can be in disharmony, again, being private and then, and trying to be, you know, because part of authenticity is vulnerability, right? And so, in this case, the 
It started actually with an internal. Um, I, I had to say something internally because that first Monday, Monday the ninth, um, was October. 9th. It was just it was brutal. It was brutal. Like I was I was struggling to to show up and and just like the mundanity of it. Like everything's just like gonna go the same as regular, but it's not regular. And and I knew that um, you know other people like me, um, you know other other Jewish people, non Jewish people, but a lot of people were just struggling, and I felt like. And and I, I have to say, like the the silence was was deafening, and it was like, you know what? Like if if I can't make a, a comment, like who, who will? Right? Like no one is saying anything, so I'll 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 do it. I'll say something. I, I appreciate that you recognize it. Like what a vulnerable place it came from. I was honestly like, I was very worried because um, again, I, I don't want to speak on behalf. This wasn't speaking on behalf of all trails. This was just me being real and, and honest and vulnerable and, and just trying to like, you know, call for empathy and compassion and humanity and, and tell people who are also like suffering, like, you're not alone. I, I see you. I feel you. I feel exactly the same. Like, you know, and just trying to like instill a sense of community a little bit and just like the greater the good kind of, kind of thing. So anyways, I went, I went to bed that night, like very nervous. Um, Cause there's so, there's just so much ugliness right now. It's very sad. Um, but the next day, um, I was very pleasantly surprised where like, it kind of, it took off a little bit. Like it it started getting like tens of thousands of of views and it was shared like dozens and dozens of times. And people were 100% of the people who interacted with it were positive and compassionate and empathetic and kind. And that was just like, okay, you know, like there's some, there's some goodness out there. And I think internally at all trails too, I think just being vulnerable, you know, showing my, I'm, I'm human, right? Like I have good days and sad days like anyone else. Right. And I think that hopefully, um, I'm a, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a believer. And again, maybe it's naive. Maybe it'll bite me in the ass one day, but I, I believe that like vulnerability is a strength, you know? And, and I just, for myself, whenever I see vulnerability and authenticity from someone else, like I respect them more because it, it's hard. It's hard putting yourself out there like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll share a, a quick story of, uh, of me seeing kind of vulnerability in action and, and how I think it really helped a team and helped me a ton was um, about a year ago, I was working with Bounce and um, their CEO, literally uh, uh, the best CEO that I've worked with. And I got a couple of decades of experience over him and he was just, he was just so, so good. And one of the things he did is he, he got the executive team together but before a retreat, we all went out to dinner in a in a private closed off room and 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 basically all just kind of told our life stories from a very vulnerable perspective. But he started it off and and just just told some really tough things that he'd been through that kind of helped to shape who he was. And I was at a stage right then where I was going through probably one of the hardest times of my life. And, uh, and, and to the point where like, I almost quit the job just cause I could not keep my head in it, even though I loved working with the team and love wor- what I was working on. And by him doing that, it made me, it made me just say, okay, I have permission as well. And I opened up about everything and it was, it was like embarrassing family, shameful stuff that just so hard to talk about, but you know, not every one of the executives opened up to the same level, but enough of them did that where I saw it come into action over the next several months of, of working hand in hand is like when you understand people on that, that vulnerable level, 
when you come up against a disagreement, you just give them the benefit of the doubt more. It's like, you know, this person is human. They don't have an agenda against me. They just see this differently. Let's figure this out. And, and just one thing after the other where, where we just, I think we just worked so much better as a team as a result of that. And, uh, and just had so much more empathy and, and compassion for each other. So it's just a, it's an interesting thing to see, not just from the CEO, but the CEO doing it that opened the door to each of each, most of the others also doing it. And uh, and just me me ultimately feeling just way closer with everyone working better together with them. So it's a a very a very uh, interesting kind of connection there. I think. Culturally, the world is growing a little bit in that sense. I, I know, Sean, when we started our careers, like, you know, especially when you're young uh, in your career, you there's all this pressure to like play the part. Um, and I think we've gotten better as a society about saying it's less about playing the part. It's about showing up and doing the right thing for the people you're with and who you're, you know, and serving your customers. Um, so again, I think it goes back to culture. And I think um, for me personally, uh, since we're all sharing our, our personal stories here, uh, when I was at Teltech, uh, one of my close family members was going through a really serious health crisis. And I remember going into work one day and I kind of had that same moment you were having, Ron, where it's just like, I didn't know if I could pull it together. And I was having this meeting with uh, two of my designers and I actually couldn't hold it together because we were talking about something that was so inane. It just drove me crazy. I, and I finally just I just lost it and I kind of broke down and I was so worried about what the the impact of that would be. And then what I realized is that the impact of that was uh, we were closer and they respected me more and I respected them more because for the way they handled, you know, my vulnerability. So I think, I think it's a lesson for everyone. It's a good thing. Um, I mean, obviously there are limits to, you know, you know, we'd have to show up and work, but um, on the other hand, I think, uh, Leaders being vulnerable is actually a, a good thing. I think over time, people you work for and with just respect you more and more um, because they do see that you're human. So um, I'm glad we uh, actually had an opportunity to, to ask that question and, and chat. I know we're we're kind yeah, of same, over yeah, we're, here. We're right and, up uh, against the time now, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Ron, we uh, we're just gonna have to have you back on for a third time so we can uh, <laughs> we can, I'll, we I'll can do dig more. Such, I, such great conversation. I love this, guys. Awesome. It's so much fun being on this show with you both. Thank you, thank you, thanks for the great questions and all the support. And it's it's awesome. It's fun. Awesome. Yeah, we we really enjoyed it. Usually, I like to kind of wrap things up uh, at at the end, but um, Ethan and I will take uh, take some time to put our heads together and and highlight some of the key key parts from from this conversation to to put into the intro and uh, and then we're also going to ask you about hiring, and so we can put put that there. Any of the key roles you're trying to hire, but. Uh, it will, we'll, uh, we'll follow up by email and we'll get those all into the introduction. But Ron, I just want to thank you so much for, for sharing the journey with us and, and, uh, being human with us and not just, uh, <laughs> yeah. not just somebody who's, who's creating, you know, multi hundred million dollar companies, but, but, uh, you know, stay, staying true to yourself along the way. So that, that's, uh, it's a really great conversation and, um, we, again, hopefully we'll get you back again. Thank you both. This is great. Yeah, thanks Highlight so much. My day. All right, guys. I'll see you both. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.